A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's amazing how many unintelligent people. Look, they're not so dear. Astonished at it. What is the matter with these people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yep, Tuesday, July 5th. Good morning. 0818 96 96 96. The number, the text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. We're returning to the women affected by vaginal mesh uh, this morning and talking to a woman who's had surgery in the United States with the one doctor, the one doctor they know for certain who is able to remove these blasted things. Catch up with her a little later on. Also, chicken pox. Should you get a jab for the poxy chickens when you're a baby? I have to say, I didn't even know there was one there. So it's a new one on me. Um, and it seems now as if they may start, or they're thinking about giving, the, the poxy chickens jab to babies uh, to save them from getting it in, in later life. Uh, also, did you... Speaking of babies... Um, I learned this morning the most unusual word for a baby animal. I had no idea that this baby animal was called a pup. Obviously, I'm not talking about a dog or a seal. But uh, a baby animal. Can you guess? Think about it now. What baby animals are called pups? You'd be amazed when I tell you what one it is. They found a load of them in Cork recently and had to rescue them. But uh, first of all, this morning, um, Sophie, your idea is so good, okay? So good that I don't think it'll ever be allowed to work, let alone will it work. (laughs) But, But let's hear it anyway. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Very well. This is brilliant, which is why I think it'll never be allowed to work. But drive on anyway. (laughs) <laughs> so PJ, um, just in listening to all of the news recently around the cost of living and the pressures that all the parents are under and you hear all of these articles and I was just sitting down in the evening and getting quite sad about the thing because basically it felt like a lot of the cost of living um, situations are out of our control. 
which is yeah. a situation I never like to be in and I never like other parents to be in. So um, basically the focus is around the cost of school uniforms. Right. So um, I saw a couple of articles where there's a couple of schools in Munster that are deciding in their wisdom to bring out a new school uniform this September, which is going to cost an additional 70 or 100 euro. And I said, this is beyond ridiculous. So the idea is this is something that we can impact and it's something that we can do in Cork. And it's something that we as a community in Cork can get together to do. Um, if all of the primary and secondary schools in Cork said, OK, we're in a cost of living crisis in September, we are going to not force um, crested uniforms on mm. parents and on students. And we're all going to go with neutral track suits and nice and easy stuff that kids like to wear. Everyone wearing grey and navy. No competition between who's got the most beautiful tracksuit. Everyone going grey and navy, basically, in um, September. The boards of man management can make that decision. It would stop the additional costs on parents. And mm. because there would be a great influx potentially of volume of buying of grey and navy tracksuits in Duns and Pennies and those type of shops. Yeah. My idea was that it would be a Cork-specific campaign where they would step up, um, the Duns and the Pennies and, and the other shops where we, we get our kind of standard tracksuits, and give an additional discount to parents because they're getting an additional volume of sales yeah. and say this is a cork a boo whatever you want to call it, um, school yeah. Yeah. wear campaign, an additional 10% off the already reasonably priced tracksuits for the parents and we do this as a Cork community and the only pushback I could think of in thinking through this was with the boards of management who would say this is breaking the rules in the schools and all the usual stuff and my question to the board of management would be surely we are trying to teach our children that in times of when they have budgetary constraints in their lives they look at everything that they are spending and they say, what's the sensible thing to spend money on and what's the not sensible thing to spend money on? And Crested Uniforms comes into the not sensible mm. thing to spend money on in a cost of living crisis. So it's a very good learning for students to say, help your parents. This is what we're trying to do. Um, and we're in this together as a community. And I just think it's very important to get people back on feeling they have some kind of control in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're being hit by bills that we can't control. Um, around utility and electricity and everything else. This is something we can control. We don't have to take. We need to be sensible. Mm -hmm. And I think if Cork did it as a kind of a, a campaign as such within the county, then maybe the rest of the nation would look at it and say, down in Cork, look what they're doing and get this uh, school uniform cost off the table for parents in September. So, so that's basically the idea. I was in Tesco last evening, wandering around doing a few bits and knowing that I'd be talking to you this morning. I was looking at all of the little generic shorts and pants and tracksuits. Oh, I thought, I thought this is genius, absolute genius. Yeah. But but they're never going to let it work. And I I I I can't find a single argument against it. Not in my entire yeah. searching my brain. I can't find a single argument against it. Which is exactly why it won't happen. Because I think <laughs> no, I'm serious, and I'm not messing with you. Yeah. I think schools. Yeah. And because I, I know when I said this last week, I think I'll be here in September listening to the usual baloney coming in about such and such a kid sent home because they had the wrong black shoes yeah. or, 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 or they had the wrong jumper because their mommy wasn't able to afford a new one. We're going to have yeah. that every September. This would solve an awful lot of those problems. Have you tried to approach the Department of Education about it? Because if the Department of Education 
turned to the schools and said, that's a great idea, you need to go and do it, that'd be a start. Absolutely. So there's two things there, um, PJ, to, to, um, to look at. First of all, the other lesson that uh, that schools are meant to be teaching our kids is, you know, just equality and everybody at an equal level. And, you know, as you said, there are some kids that won't have the money going back to school, won't have uh, the best of everything. And what that's doing is that's causing discrimination among the kids straight away. Whereas if everybody's on, you know, grey tracksuit and navy tracksuit, that takes that off the table. In terms of making this happen, and I'm not sure, and I was thinking through kind of where the decision-making lies, is it the Department of Education or is it the Board of Management in each individual school? Um, But what I can do absolutely is contact the Department of Education, but I have a feeling it's going to be more of a Board of Management decision Mm -hmm. in each individual school. And it would be interesting, and this is why I'm contacting you, to call out to any members of Boards of Management in any schools across Cork just on the idea in terms of their feedback because even if you could get some of the main schools grabbing onto the idea, and that's the idea behind a campaign and making it fun and making it something we're doing as Cork together, that nearly you'd be unpopular as a school not to do it. Oh, do you know what I mean? It would, if you be, could get it would a few, be. It would be wonderful. It would be wonderful. And, and I've been thinking for years as well, Sophie, long time before we were in this kind of an economic setup, that if enough parents of small children in particular just went into Duns and Tesco's or Aldi or Little and bought the generic uniforms as close as they can to the school colours and just sent their kids in and said to hell with it this is what my children can afford they can't send them all home absolutely well that's the point and the other thing is it's the comfort level like my I have a nine-year-old and he has a lovely uniform but he's a nine-year-old wearing a shirt buttoned up to the neck which he hates a tie, you know, an acrylic warm jumper and whatever. And he's like, can I just wear tracksuits? I mean, that's what kids want to do because they're comfortable and everything else. So I just wanted to throw the idea out there. I am going to follow up with um, the Department of Education to see what kind of feedback I can get, but specifically to the boards and management instead of calling them all individually, because I know we have a lot of Cork schools. If we could just put the call out to the boards and management to get their feedback. And if any other parents wanted to raise it with um, their schools, that'd be great. But most importantly, DAS 96FM, if you guys kind of made it more of a fun campaign, Cork mm-hmm. thing together type of scenario, we might get a better push. You know and what? Because I think for every kid that you could save 50 or 100 euro for every child going back to school, do you know what? It would help a lot for parents, you know? I think, as I said, I think, Sophie, this is genius. And certainly you have my endorsement. And, and I will <laughs> shout about it from every opportunity that I have. Because I think it, it makes absolute 100% sense. And, we, and maybe yeah. we'll get to talk again. Absolutely. I will try and do my best as well, PJ. And if I make any progress, I'll get back to you. Is that fair? Absolutely, Sophie. Thank you so much. Good, spe- Thank good, you. good speaking with you and good luck. So there's her idea that every board of management in every school in Cork, primary and secondary, approves non-crested uniforms. And none of this stuff that's got three different forms of the school colours stitched into the neck of the jumper. Forget that nonsense for just one year. If the school jumper is blue or navy, then a generic navy jumper should do. For primary schools, just a tracksuit in the school colours. If the school colour is green, then a green tracksuit should do. Any of the non-labeled generic uniforms, tracksuits, pants, jumpers, t-shirts that are being sold in all the, the discount stores and do it for Cork and do it for Cork kids. I think this is a fabulous idea. A fabulous, fabulous idea.
whether it's an individual school board that has to decide it, whether it's the Department of Education that has to decide it. Let's see if we can't do it. It's This is what? This is the 5th of July. Most of the schools will be starting to go back. Well, the primaries are going back in the first week in September. Secondaries will start going back in the last week in August. Let's see if we can't push this one down the road a little bit. What would you think? Can anybody find an objection? Because I can't. And I know that in this particular chair, I'm supposed to listen to stuff and I'm supposed to put an opposing view when I can think of one. I can't. 0818-969696. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing. Tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96FM. So I was out the back yesterday afternoon and it was doing a bit around the garden when the weather was nice and I had the music on from Pride Vibes. I just said I'd try it. It's massive. Music is great. Pride Vibes is our new online station. Uh, playing the biggest hits and shining a light on Irish life with conversations around the issues that matter. And we're counting down to parades and celebrations across Ireland. You can stream Pride Vibes now on the app or on the Cork's 96FM website and more information on its own website at pridevibes.ie. Supported by Voltrol, the joy of movement. You can listen live now uh, with Cork's 96FM. Read a piece in the last few days, and this is, again, I suppose, school children come into this conversation because they're the ones that tend to get the chicken pox. Uh, most, I would think. There's an assessment underway, according to HICWA, the Health Information and Quality Authority, as to whether the chicken pox virus, or chicken pox vaccine rather, should be included in the childhood immunisation programme. Now, there's a, a gap in my knowledge because I didn't know there was a vaccine for the poxy chickens. I, I just thought it was something that you had to kind of get and get over or try and avoid getting over. And because it was so transmissible and because there was so much of it out there, it was just something that you'd get at some point in your childhood. I know I certainly had it when I was a smallie. Didn't know there was a vaccine. But then there was a tweet from a good friend of the opinion line, Dr. Nile Conroy, uh, who said the chicken box vaccine should be added to the childhood immunisation schedule. He said it would be good news because chickenpox causes huge disruption. Niall, of course, now an adjunct professor at the School of Public Health at UCC and joins me on the opinion. Niall, good morning. Good to speak with you again, my friend. Likewise, PJ. Good morning. Tell me about this. I didn't even know there was a vaccine for chickenpox. Yeah, it's been kicking around for a long time, actually. The, um, the US have been vaccinating since probably early to mid-90s. Australia been doing it since about 2005. Um, and look, it, it's it's done, I suppose. There's a bit of sense behind it in that you're right, most people just get chicken pox when they're a kid, you know, and it's sort of, you know, they get it, they're unwell for a week and it's done and dusted, you know. But it's so transmissible, like you were saying, that everybody gets it. Mm. And Within that sort of, you know, w- within that sort of population, um, you've got sort of some fairly rare but serious side effects. 
So some kids, not many, would end up in hospital with chickenpox. Some can get strokes, pneumonia, encephalitis. Then you have kids who are immunocompromised. The kids are on chemotherapy and that kind of thing. So if they get chickenpox, that's very bad news for them because it doesn't stay in their skin. It gets right into their into their system and causes sort of a sepsis-type picture, mm. which is pretty bad. And pregnant women, you know, um, pregnant women will know that if they're in touch with someone with chickenpox, they have to go and get their antibodies checked, you know, because it can be dangerous for the woman and it can be dangerous for the um, the unborn baby. So um, there's there's lots of reasons sort of for that we're, we're kind of protecting some very vulnerable people um, against chickenpox where, where it can be nasty. And there's also... The, and probably this is what's bringing a lot of the European countries on board recently. And there's the economic cost. If you imagine chickenpox is miserable, absolutely miserable. And, you know, you're itchy, you're sore, you've got a temperature, probably for the guts of, you know, five, six days. And it's so transmissible. If you've got three, four kids, the parents can be off work for you know two or three weeks looking after them mm. and when you add up the economic cost of that it, it starts to you know and every country has to do its own analysis on that but it starts to certainly in the countries that have looked at it made economic sense to try and um you know to try and minimize the amount of infection in the community and it, it puts the whole class out because one child goes into a class of 25 or 30 and that's it done it's so contagious. Now, sometimes what will happen is within a class, um, the kids have had it before they, they, they arrive at school. And the, the good thing about um, chickenpox infection is that when you get infected, a second infection is pretty pretty uncommon. Yeah. Um, you know, you tend to have immunity for life. But if you have a room, if you have a class full of people who have no immunity to chickenpox, they're going to get it. And you do. You see these outbreaks every year in Ireland, um, not just in classrooms. Yeah. Um, other facilities and we used to see them in Australia actually um, in prisons a lot I've dealt with a lot of outbreaks of chicken pox in prisons and it's it's so much worse in adults that, that I was going sicker, to ask you that now you know, you know it's, yeah. we think of it as a childhood disease but it can be very severe in, in adults Monica is is messaging us here and I heard this before and I thought it was uh, you know an urban myth or something if you get um, chicken pox, a mild dose of chicken pox as a kid, you are less likely to get shingles in later life. Is that true? And also there's a thing called Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, which Monica raises. I don't know what that is, but again, the same thing applies. Do, do, does it confer immunity against worse things in later life? Well, to, to, get, to get shingles, you have to have chicken pox in the first place. So well, you don't get shingles on its own. So what happens with shingles is that when you catch chicken pox, usually as a child, um, the w- w- when your immune system sort of clears the virus itself, the virus doesn't leave your system. It tends to hibernate fairly deep in your nervous system, in your spinal cord, actually. And when you're an adult, at a time maybe when you're stressed or you're sick or whatever, it sort of comes out and, you know, it causes shingles. And shingles can cause Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, which, which is an eye problem that some celebrity had it a few weeks ago. I can't remember who it was. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's, I remember that now. Yes. Yeah. And th- these are painful neurological conditions. And they're really, really nasty. And they disable people for days or weeks. And th- there's a lot of uncertainty around the interplay between 
you know, chicken pox as a mm. child and these conditions. But basically, you have to get chicken pox to get these conditions. So one of the benefits um, that we're seeing of the chicken pox vaccine is that people who aren't getting chicken pox are getting, you know, so by, by reducing the amount of chicken pox in the community, we're reducing the amount of shingles in the community as ah. well, which is which is fantastic, you know. Um, so we see that in Australia now, shingles, you know, where I worked up till recently, shingles is much less common than it would be in Ireland um, because we, we just have less chicken pox around. I think that's, you know? that's, so, that seems to be kind of what Monica was getting at, that if you do include the immunisation in childhood, that you might reduce Reduce the incidence of, of 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 shingles. I was just fascinated by the connection of whether it was true. So you've verified there's a truth there, and also that the immunisation might prevent it. That's great. Yeah, and look, there's there's now. I mean, look, it's a, it's a conversation for another day. But there's a vaccine now um, available for shingles as well. So um, we've been using that in Australia as well for a few years, which is which is pretty good for those people who get recurrent shingles. Okay. But yeah, look, vaccinating people against chickenpox will reduce the amount of shingles in, in the community, which is great. All right. Listen, good talking to you again, and I uh, hope you're settling in well in your new role as adjunct professor at the School of Public Health at UCC, uh, Professor Niall Conroy. Good to speak to you on the programme. Yeah. So they're doing it in Australia, they're doing it in parts of America. What do you think about that? I know they're vac- No, I know kids, they look, they put more needles into them than you would into a pincushion in the first couple of years of their lives. But let's face it, it confers immunity against very nasty things down the road. Chicken pox might be added. It's not the mild annoyance that we think it is. It can be very severe for some kids. Plus, as Niall said, the impact on the economy. If a whole class full of kids gets chicken pox, that's a load of parents out of work and all that. Yeah, Monica says, I think it should be part of it. It, it reduces the chances of shingles and of Ramsey Hunt syndrome. It was Justin Bieber. That's right, Justin Bieber, who got that a few years ago. Thanks, Monica, and thanks, Niall. 0818 Kate says, on the uniforms, manufacturers of uniforms would be up in arms if it was to happen. Kevin says, if I say what I want to say, you can't read it out. But who do these people think they are? You're on for three hours. If someone somewhere gives me one good reason to bring out a new 100 euro uniform, I'll be here to listen. Just one reason, <laughs> says Kev. 0818 Betty says, great idea about the uniform. Clondrohid, uh, another Betty, I think. Clondrohid, Always struggle with that word. Clondrohid National School have a navy blue uniform. You can buy an iron-on crest. You can also buy the uniform with the crest already on. They cater for every pocket. Mary says if boards of management push back, the department could reduce the grant given to the schools. It was mooted at my kids' school a while ago, but the questionnaire was so biased in its questions. Do you want your kids to have individuality, etc.? So... I presume that the survey didn't go according to what parents wanted. Thanks, Mary. Finbar says, great idea on paper. I'm not a multimillionaire. Hard to believe, I know. (laughs) But something doesn't sit well with me. Uniforms can be as cheap or as dear as you like. I'd imagine every primary school does second-hand uniform sales. The boys' school does. The uniforms are donated to the school and the school sells them on for a song. You don't say what school this is, Finbar. Uniforms are important. You know little Johnny will go in his Michael Green trackie and little Faulkner will go in his Yves Saint Laurent 
tracksuit. Little Johnny will be the poor kid. There are easier ways to make savings which will save more than the single spend you do every year or two. Much love, says Finbar. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a point. It's a point. But I've long since failed to understand why schools, for example, if you go to take a thing like a school jumper, why it is necessary to have the three colours of the trest, crest stitched into the collar of the jumper and stitched into the sleeves of the jumper and why the jumper just just pick a jumper why the jumper has to be bought from a particular shop you know who's winning there why the jumpers and the pants and the shorts and the whatever tracksuits even have to be bought from a particular shop to suit a particular school what's that crack about it's it's less so than it used to be, but it used to be the, the way to go. I just love that idea that Sophie's come up with, though, that the kids should be going to school in generic uniforms and generic colours, and if you want to buy your stuff in Aldi, buy it in Aldi, and if it even conforms to the basic colour scheme of the school, send the child in. And the, my little bit of an inbuilt rebel says, you know what, if there's 20 school or 25 children in a class and 20 of them come in in Aldi and Dunn's uniforms. Are they going to send them all home? Are they going to send home a class of six-year-olds because their parents have done a sensible thing and saved a bit of money? I love Sophie's idea. We're going to pursue it and see where it goes. 0818969696 on Chickenpox. Mark says, I work as a teacher. As a blood donor, I'm often asked if I've been in contact with kids with chickenpox because you can't give blood if you have. It's almost a game every year squeezing in a donation before the first case of chicken pox. Thanks, Mark. 0818969696. We were speaking yesterday about mesh surgery, vaginal mesh surgery. It's a difficult subject. It is literally a very painful subject for the women who have been through it. But it's a subject that first came up on the opinion line back around 2016 when none of the women felt they were able to speak. And much of the talking was done by activists and much of the talking was done by solicitors back then. Now the women are coming forward to speak. And it's fantastic that they are. And I've been speaking to Bernie. Bernie, when did you have uh, the mesh operation? I had the mesh operation in 2017. Mm. You would have been one of the last then before they put the pause on it. Yes, I think I was, yeah. yeah. And what did you have it for? I had a prolapse of my bowel and my bladder. Okay. And how long after the surgery did you realise that things weren't right, as it were? Um, I'd say leading up to Christmas of that year, I was thinking this doesn't somehow feel right. But, you know, I didn't want to think that it had failed. Mm. So it was about... April, um, I went back to my GP and said, I think it's not worked. And he examined me and said, yeah, uh, I'll send you back to this consultant. Right. So I went back in 2018 and they said that it hadn't worked and that I would need two more operations possibly. And if that hadn't worked, uh, that they would remove 
everything and sew up my vagina. Oh, my goodness me. Yes. So I was devastated and absolutely crushed. And I walked out of there and I just sat in my car and cried. Wow. That's that's devastating um, yes. that that was put on the tape. Now, what are your symptoms, Bernie? Uh, my symptoms are that I have pain, lower back pain. I have pain in my groin and my around my stomach, and I have shooting pains that go up into my vagina right. and my bottom. And um, my life is not my life anymore. And is the pain constant? Um, more or less, but you just you just have a you grow an extra layer of skin so that you can cope and put a smile on your face every day because nobody wants to hear it. Oh, how are you? You just say I'm fine, but underneath you're not fine. You yeah. just get on with your life the best you can. You put your best foot forward. And I have, I've had so many um, investigations done. You become dead from the waist down because it doesn't feel like it's your body anymore. Right. I mean, I know you have to have investigation to find out what's going on, but every time it is very painful and very uncomfortable. Yeah. So I had a second opinion in Dublin. Mm. So that's a four-hour drive and... In pain, I assume, driving? Yes, yeah, very uncomfortable. Looking for a toilet because you know you, you need to go or you can't go. And you travel four hours. You have to spend the night in a hotel because your appointment's early in the morning. Um, and then you're back trying to get sorted again. And I thought I was. Mm. Um, and But it didn't work. Did, did you it, have more surgery after? I had more surgery, a repair to my bladder. Mm. And again, that didn't work. So I went again and I had two uh, urology tests, which is, if any woman's out there, they know that's really painful but yeah. it has to be done um, then I had Botox to try and help my bladder but of course like everybody knows Botox only works for a short amount of time mm -hmm. and then you're back to having the same problems mm. I'm back to where I was before I started all of this yeah it sounds like in actual fact you're and I know nothing about prolapse Forgive me, no. Bernie, but it, no. it sounds like you're worse off than you ever were. Well, I'm no better, that's for sure. And I am in more pain than I was to start with. Yeah. And it's not just the money. It's just that you you hope and you pray that this is going to work. Mm. And it doesn't work. And then you're devastated again. And, it, and it's this constant circle you're going on you're getting pinged from one to the other I've tried I've been to the top people so unless we have somebody in Ireland that's able to just do mesh surgery to take the mesh out 
we don't have that in Ireland. And I don't think until we have that, we're going to get anywhere. There's mm. hundreds of women in this situation and they're all hoping and praying that it's going to work. Yeah. At least we're being heard now. And if it wasn't for the two MESH groups, MESH Ireland and MESH survivors, I don't know how we'd survive really. And at least people are, are talking now and we're being heard. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was saying this yesterday to Catherine that when I heard this first it was a solicitor that I spoke to Yes. but the women themselves couldn't bring themselves to, to, to interview so the bravery being shown by yourself and others, that's new and that's fantastic it must yeah. be difficult, I mean this must be very mentally draining Bernie is it? It is very mentally draining. You, you go to bed thinking about it. How was I so stupid that I didn't look into this in the first place? You're blaming I yourself? So much now. I go from being Erin Brockovich to Rose hanging on to the ice. <laughs> that's a very good way of putting it. And that's what you're like. You, you end up having to research and look just yeah. to find the answers. Why am I in this mess? Why did I let this happen? Why aren't we all talking about it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You would obviously like to be able to have the surgery, the very complex surgery that's available. I think it's one doctor in America and a couple in the UK who who can do it. But that's that's not an option for you really at the moment. No, I I need to know what's happened inside. They offer you physiotherapy. I don't want physiotherapy. I don't want psychotherapy. I know what's happening in my body. I don't need somebody to start messing about with me again. The only thing I'm looking for is a translabial scan. And hopefully that will tell me where this mesh is. You can get that in Cork now, can't you? But it, only eight or ten people had it done. And it's, I don't think it's working in Dublin either, from what I hear. Mm. And, you know, we just need to be believed. Yeah. And this is what you have to live with. You have to suck it up. It's not, it's not right. Yeah. Bernie, once again, this campaign is in the media now. And I think, yeah. in my experience, it's louder than ever now. Well, I'm so pleased. After the uh, meeting in Dublin on Wednesday... The Rectors Committee, yeah. Yes, I just couldn't believe how we were starting to be believed. And do you believe, Bernie, that women who have been injured in the way you've been injured, should they be assisted to get reversal, removal, therapies, whatever it is they need? I think so. I think we should be allowed to say, I want to go to this doctor because this is the only one that I believe will help me. Mm. I can't afford to keep paying out money for something that's not working or might work. Yes. I want to go to the best now. This is my body. It's the only body I have. (laughs) Yeah. 
Bernie, I, I, I don't have any words that are sufficient to cover what people are telling me they're going through. I, I sit and I, I said it to Catherine, I, I sit and I cringe even thinking yeah. of what you poor people must be going through. And that's why we're offering this program as, as a space for people to come and talk. And I'm so glad that you have done that today. Yeah, thank you very much for letting me speak as well. Ready to go, go, go. It's showtime. The Corks 96 FM Best of Cork Awards are back. It's time to nominate places and services that are the best in Cork. Best in Cork. From best beauty salon to breakfast. Best takeaway to gym. Hairdresser to hotel. Best bar to best local tradesperson and more. See 96FM.ie now to nominate. Then stay listening. It's about them time. The Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie for trusted tradespeople with a 12-month warranty backed by Board Gosh Energy. Only on Cork's 96FM. Mandy, you're one of the people who's had the mesh removed by Dr. Veronicus in the United States and I talked to you about that in a while but but take me back to the start. Um, What's your, your experience before that? Um, well, I had I had had an experienced a birth injury um, after the birth of my first son, and was suffering for about seven years with very severe incontinence, and um, I was referred to um, my surgeon, and I ha- so I had the surgery, and then very soon afterwards I was experiencing infections, and my GP referred me back to the surgeon, and um, I saw him two years later. Um, by the time I got the appointment through and he couldn't find any cause for my um, infections and then I subsequently went on to see two other specialists through the years and um, none could find any connection with the mesh and then um, in 2017 I started to get more infections and it just went on and I just began to feel Um, more and more debilitated and it just found I had very little energy. I'd have to, you know, try to kick myself out of the bed in the morning and I'd sit in my chair and I'd read scripture just to get me through the day. Mm -hmm. Did you have pain? I, I did I had back pain, but um, because my initial injury for my birth injury was a nerve damage, it actually cut off the terrible pain that most of my fellow sufferers had. So that was huge for me. But um, I because of the infections coming one on top of the other, and um, I think that the real shocker came when um, I, I, I developed really bad abdominal pain and my husband had to take me into casualty. And when I was there, um, I went to the care doc before he gave me an injection. It didn't touch me. And when I went into casualty, um, I was brought into a little side room and they thought that I was um, drinking because my liver was was so affected and then subsequently I was told that my liver was damaged because of the antibiotics and um, it was reacting against them. Um, and then I just thought, God, this is scary now. And when I went to the, the consultant, I had been with him since 2019 and I saw his, his registrar and I said, look, I'm really scared. What's going to, what is the treatment plan going on from here that there's, you know, if there's no more antibiotics and he said, well, going forward, you're going to be admitted to the hospital and have IV antibiotics. 
But actually, that wouldn't be the case because if there's no um, antibiotic for your specific yeah. uh, bladder infections, you're snookered. And I would have just died of sepsis. Oh, and right. I was just really scared. And had you made a connection or had a connection been made at this stage between your mesh and these infections? No. And I was only when I met, went with my old school buddies and my friend had been listening to daytime TV. And there was a, an issue, there was an article about um, mesh injury from women from Australia, I think. And there was a big compensation. And so I went home and Googled it. And I found the HSE website and I saw, oh, my God, there's my there's all my symptoms there and all the different ways that it was adversely affecting my life. And then I found Mary's um, Mesh Ireland website and I contacted her and it was the first time that it was like that, that there was a reason why I was having I understood that there was a reason. But then I saw there was a doctor who could fix it. Yeah. Dr. Veronicus in Mercy Hospital in St. Louis, yeah. um, Missouri. And I was, but I was thinking, God, go to America. I couldn't afford to go to America. And um, I wasn't working because I was feeling so rotten. And so th- the idea was just crazy. But a friend of mine said to me, you know what, you've got to go. And I lend you the money and um, because I can see you're just deteriorating all the time. Talk to me about Dr. Veronicus. He removed the mesh, did he? He well, firstly, I spoke to him. I FaceTimed him a year before I went and um, and he he I, I had got access my original notes and sent them off to him. And um, and then he spoke to me and he asked me about my symptoms and um, and he I he he would have organised for me to go out, but I waited because there were two mesh clinics in Dublin. So I went to the Coombe and I went to the Hollis Street, uh, the National Maternity Hospital, because mm. I was thinking, no, oh, there must be somebody in Ireland who could fix this. Then a year later. I, I knew I had nothing else, but I had to go to to see him. So I saw him in his clinic and um, in Missouri and uh, he examined me. And just from his physical examination, he could um, he could diagnose the mesh injury. He didn't need any fancy scanner to mm. tell me what the problem was. And uh, so he operated um and initially, the operation was to be two and a half hours, but it went on to four hours because the mesh had been in another muscle. Since the surgery, how are you feeling? Was it a success? Oh, I'm brand new. Honest to God, I'm brand new. I mean, I did um, the Ladies' Mary Ma- Mini Marathon for another lady with three children who is in absolute agony and much younger woman than I am. I've no more infections and I just feel great. And how long ago did you have it, did you say? Last September. Last September, so you're still enjoying this wonderful new life. I so am, but I want other women to know that it's available and that they can access it. I'm given to understand that he either is or he was at least willing to come over here and and meet meet and operate on some of the women affected by this. 
Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And um, he offered to come in 2018 to work in the public system looking after our women. I don't know who said no, but it just beggars belief. Our health service say, sorry, no, we're grant. Thanks very much. And I mean, the cost of the scanner is 1.3 million, the two scanners. I mean, how many, at least 60, 70 women could have had their meshes fully removed from that, where the, the, the scanners are sitting there idle. We understand there's a doctor or two in the UK can do it too, but this, this, this is the go-to guy. He is the goat. Well, 16 years. I mean, America is a big place. Women are going from, I mean, the Canadian government are giving funding for their women to attend him. The Scottish government are setting up uh, procedures. And when you went over, Mandy, was it costly? It cost me 18,000. I mean, that included my flights for myself and my husband. It included us booking into an apartment near the hospital. It covered the Uber back and forth mm. to the hospital for checkups and um, food and all of our, our, our surgical costs. So expensive, but not an extraordinary amount of money for what you've got from it. Absolutely. I mean, your health is your wealth. Yeah, I'm so, I'm so thrilled when you tell me that you literally feel reborn. I honestly do. I honestly do. Wow. I feel so new. And I wish you continued improvement in your health. And thank you very much for talking to me. And thank you so much for highlighting it. And I just feel for the women out there, check it out. And there is a doctor who can look after them and care for them safely. Mandy, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's Mandy Jackson, and before that, Bernie. Both of them uh, mesh patients. Uh, Mandy's had the surgery to have it removed. Uh, Bernie's still suffering. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, coming up in just a sec, what is the story with the weather? Was June as it felt, it certainly felt, other than a few days, was June particularly cold and damp and wet and unnatural? Uh, or were we imagining that? That and a couple of other questions to be answered in just a sec. But uh, on the subject of chickenpox, and talking earlier with Dr. Niall Conroy about the idea of introducing the chickenpox vaccine into the childhood vaccination program and your views on that welcome at 0818 96 96 96 Dr Monica Oike is another friend of the show um, very very prominent on TikTok with her medical advice and she's been on the opinion line a couple of times talking about various different things uh, the topic of Ramsey Hunt syndrome arose during that conversation it's a kind of a complication I think it's a complication of, of shingles but recently it was Justin Bieber was suffering from this Ramsey Hunt syndrome, which is quite a nasty thing that you get around your eyes. And Dr. Monica actually did a talk about it. Thanks to Justin, we're hearing a little bit more about Ramsey Hunt syndrome. And there's been so many takes about it. But here's a quick summary of what it actually is. 
This is the paralysis of the facial nerve and it's usually on one half. The facial nerve supplies literally the entire half of your face. Fun fact, it was named after Dr. James Ramsey Hunt, who was a neurologist in America and it first described it in 1907. So what actually causes this awful disease? It is the same virus that is responsible for chickenpox, known as your varicella zoster virus. When you get chickenpox, the virus never leaves your system. It lays dormant in your nerve root and sometimes when you become immunocompromised, that virus can actually wake up. This is the same phenomenon that happens with shingles. But if the virus wakes up around the facial nerve, this causes Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. It is an awful condition. The symptoms include the pain in the ear, ringing in the ear, dizziness, and also the rash that could appear a few days later. This is a good time to let you know there's a vaccine actually available for chickenpox. Get well soon, Justin. Thank you, Dr. Monica. So there's the thing, if you get the chickenpox vaccine, what I'm understanding from this, from both Niall and Dr. Monica there, is if you get the chickenpox vaccine, if your children get the chickenpox vaccine, am I right in thinking they'll never get shingles and they'll never get Ramsey-Hunt syndrome? 0818 96 96 96 is something we might come back to. Yeah, the Irish Wheelchair Association, you'd have heard it in the news, personal assistance, there's a industrial action today. They haven't had a pay rise or even a smell of a pay rise since 2008. And that's why they're taking industrial action today. 0818 96 96 96. So what was it with the weather in June? I happened to remark yesterday, sitting down at the... Uh, Elton John concert on Friday night in Parky Cueve and sitting down in the sand with a fleece on me in the 1st of July. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was cold. And as the evening got darker, it got colder, which shouldn't be happening at this time of year. Or should it? Let's uh, talk about our weather for a little while with Cahill Nolan, uh, weather analyst with Ireland's Weather Channel. Cahal, good morning. Very good morning, PJ. Cahal, was June particularly cold and wet, particularly the back end of it? And are the evenings, still last night, even out in my back garden at half eight, quarter to nine, it felt unnaturally cold for the, 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 the 4th of July? I suppose looking back over the past month, really, for the month of June, we certainly can't say, looking at the long-term averages, that it was a particularly overcast month, it was a particularly wet month at times, as you said, especially towards the second half of the month, we would have seen rainfall precipitation levels really quite widely across the country, coming in above average up to 120, 140, even 150% of normal values in some locations. And certainly, as you said, as you felt yourself, even indeed at the at the Elton John concert, the temperatures have been very disappointing for the first month of the Irish meteorological summer. They've come in certainly between about one to two degrees Celsius below average over the course of that month long period. And certainly that's, I suppose it's in contrast to what we would typically associate as been one of the warmest months of the year. And even in an Irish context, I suppose we do have this, let's say, association with, let's say, leaving sort of weather even indeed yeah. towards the early part of the month. We certainly didn't see any signs of that this particular year. Yeah, like, I don't know whether whether I'm right or not here, but I, I always think that t- to create a lovely warm evening that you can sit out on uh, at nine or half past nine, you need to have had a couple of dry, bright and sunny days to warm up the air. Or, or is that just my imagination? 
It really depends. I suppose in some situations you can have a colder, colder atmosphere, but then you could see the past and let's say have a warm front or you see wind swinging around to a southerly direction and bringing in, I suppose, a plume of very warm air. That can occur. In general, though, I suppose you're right in the sense that it probably comes off the back of, let's say, a warmer spell or at least one or two days, as you said, of particularly, I suppose, warmer temperatures than we would have seen over the preceding period. Mm. I don't think we've seen too many of those particular days this year so far. Certainly in the month of June, there would have been only a couple of days in which you could describe it even as a nice summer's evening you could say mm. um, but I suppose the good news is that and I suppose this is the, the caveat is that there still is two months let's say of the Irish meteorological summer yeah. still left yeah. and we are seeing signs of a change coming throughout the course of this week Yeah, all of the models My the, the, the app I rely on and have been relying on for years, Dark Sky is very optimistic and, and all of the models that you can get a look at, they're all very optimistic about about an improvement starting, it looks like it's starting Cahill in the next what, 24, 36 hours? <laughs> In general, I suppose it will start to take place over the course of the next 24, 48 hours. Initially, we'll see a ridge of high pressure start to build in. What that'll do is, while it won't bring wall-to-wall blue sky sunshine initially, what it will do is it'll keep rain away pretty much for the for the duration of the forecast period. So that's, say, let's do the next 7 to 10 days, which is what we can say with some level of accuracy. As we go towards the weekend itself, we see that high-pressure system, the ridge extending, and the high-pressure centre itself, in some of the model runs at least, coming in and becoming established across Ireland in that kind of a situation then we will see more in the way of sunshine and sunshine at this particular time of the year means we start to see higher temperatures as well especially as those winds go around into a south or southeasterly direction. It's the Punch and Judy show and you, you and I have spoken about it before between what's coming in off the Atlantic, what's coming up from the south, they, they tend to meet unfortunately right over Cork or just off the Cork coast and it's whichever one is stronger at the time and then there's a third system coming at us from the, the northeast that can be like a referee between the two and everything has to fall in place. That's the, the I suppose that's the beauty in one sense of living in a location like Cork where you're at this, let's say, confluence point between these different weather systems. Typically, the Atlantic dictates the type of weather conditions that we see. The location of the jet stream has a major influence on the weather conditions that we see in the southwest of the country and indeed across the entirety of the country. Over the past month, we can say that the Atlantic has been predominantly in control. High pressure has been dominant across the continent, but it's been far enough away that we've allowed, I suppose, a run of southwesterly, westerly, and indeed at times northwesterly winds in across the country. Regardless of the time of year that you see westerly, northwesterly winds, it's going to feel cold. Mm. It's going to be disappointing, especially at this particular time of the year. But the beauty of living in this particular region, I suppose the changeable nature of the weather is that it can change at the drop of a hat then as well. If we see winds go around into a south, southeast direction, then we see our summer conditions return. And thankfully, that's what looks like happening over the course of the next couple of days to a week. This time last year, uh, the the heat was starting to move in and it sat on top of us until the middle of July. Any chance in, in your crystal ball, any chance of that happening over the next week or two? I suppose looking at the long range and looking at the models as we go out beyond that seven to ten day trend, the the prognosis or at least the signs at this particular stage that would be encouraging to believe that we could be in for a more prolonged spell of settled weather. We see that high pressure system moving up and very often when it does move up to a location closer to Ireland or across parts of the UK, it does tend to stay in place for quite some time. Mm. Now, looking at it at the moment, the particular system that we're looking at, it does look particularly stable when it comes up. There are some signs that it might shift maybe after 10 days or so in place, but again, that's just too far out to say at this particular moment in time. Is this the famous Azores High Cahill, by the way, that we've seen mentioned? 
this will be the Azores High that we're seeing pushing up across the country. So it's been typically it's been located across the continent for a long time, and indeed across the continent it's still going to stay very warm and very settled over the course of the next period as well. Mm. It's just that we're seeing the Azores High itself actually building across the country. It's that ridge initially, and then that's pushing the centre of the high pressure system mm. in across us as the jet stream moves that bit further to the northwest. No, we just want a bit of summer. We want a bit of barbecue weather. We want all that. But on a serious note, if you look to to Europe. Uh, mainland Europe, there have been some pretty savage temperatures. I'm thinking about the south of France where there was loads of baby birds died and parts of Spain where it was up into the mid-high 40s. And this is almost, I guess, too hot to be safe. And how much of that is down to climate change, Kyle? It's always difficult to pinpoint specific seasons or specific events to climate change. Let's say the attribution studies will have to be done first, whereby you rerun the current conditions against historical models, and then you can come up with a conclusion as to whether or not it's specifically related to climate change. What we can say for certain is that the conditions that we're seeing across Europe at this particular time of the year, and we have seen for the past number of weeks, they're in line with what the scientific evidence suggests in terms of climate change that we are likely to see these larger spells, these longer spells of of dry, exceptionally warm conditions, drought conditions, and they pose a significant challenge, not just to, obviously not just to biodiversity or not just to wildlife itself, but obviously when you see temperatures up into mid to high 40s, even the human life then as well in that Mm. case. So it is quite a serious situation. I suppose what's most concerning is that it's still only, let's say, the first half of the summer. Typically, temperatures across the continent don't peak until, let's say, the end of July or into early August. So there still is time for, I suppose, a continuation of this record heat in many places. I saw an interview with uh, a bar owner from, I think think it was Malaga. It was on on the the television. And uh, he was an English chap. And he said, you know what? He said, we didn't have any spring. We just went straight into summer. There was no spring here. Um, Absolutely. I suppose Spanish temperatures, parts of Malaga, South Spain, we would consider, I suppose, their springtime temperatures even to be advanced summer temperatures for us on many occasions. But certainly that has been the case. There was a very, I suppose, immediate shift, let's say, from winter conditions to these summer conditions. And they really haven't let up, I suppose, since, as you said, since around about April, May. Yeah. All right. Well, good news for ourselves for the next the next ten days or so. Hopefully, Cahill, we might be able to clean clean the barbecue and and get it out and have some nice warm evenings, which I think we all deserve in July. Thanks very much. That's Cahill Nolan, weather analyst with Ireland's Weather Channel. So the good news is the change is afoot. Uh, next thirty six to forty eight hours, there will be quite a change, and you could pretty much say that summer will be here by the weekend. Isn't that good news now? And she's glad you listened to that. Thanks, Carl. 0818 96 96 96. And when summer is here and you get a chance to go out in the garden and a chance to finally get the barbecue going and finally bring out the little cooler with the beer in it and just sit out for a summer's evening. God, we've longed to do that properly. Then you might take some music out with you. And you might bring out our Back Garden Festival. It's our exclusive online station with all of the biggest hits from the headline acts of the summer. Brought to you by Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. You'll pick it up on the 96FM app or you can go to 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Remember a great way to get your point into us uh, or even your longer comment into us is by way of voice message. And that's exactly what Lisa has done. Hi PJ, this is Lisa from Castle Donovan. I just caught your thing about the vaccination for the chickenpox. I actually had my child in the UK vaccinated for chickenpox uh, just before he started school. They actually start uh, about four years old as I was concerned myself about getting chickenpox because when I was pregnant with him, I actually had a test and I'd never been exposed to chickenpox. So it was highly dangerous in pregnancy to catch chickenpox. So I got him vaccinated. I also got myself vaccinated. I believe, um, I may be wrong, but uh, he's actually covered up to 90% uh, against getting chickenpox. And also um, myself, I'm about 70% protected. And I'm planning to have um, my nine-month-old vaccinated when he reaches his 12-month birthday against chickenpox, as um, I believe really that if there is a vaccination out there to avoid getting it, then it would be, be worth having i have to pay for it privately as i did in the uk but i personally feel it's worthwhile um but it was my circumstances i'd never actually been exposed to it as a child so i was very concerned about future pregnancies and of course catching it as an adult because i was told by the nurses and the doctors i would have a very severe case of it so that's just to let you know what my situation is enjoy listening to the program thanks again pj bye Lisa, thank you. Lisa from uh, Castle Donovan with her take on chickenpox vaccine. I wonder how much it actually costs. She didn't say that in her message. How much it actually costs to get it done uh, privately. 0818 96 96 96. Fussy eating in children. This one comes up from time to time. People get onto us and they say, oh, my child won't eat anything. Or my child only wants to eat the same thing all the time, or or whatever. Um, and it it can be difficult. And and once children are eating something, I've often kind of believed this as a parent myself. Once children are actually eating something and getting some nutrition into them, that a lot of this stuff are things they'll just grow out of naturally, and they'll end up eating things normally as they go through life take me for example when I was a child I wouldn't stay in the same room as either a mushroom or an onion and now I'd eat plates of the two of them for you I think our our tastes mature with age but if children are fussy what can you do Uh, Alwyn Morin is from Cogni Kids and joins me Alwyn good morning Hi PJ how are you how are things start out with that little (laughs) principle I guess that comes from being having been a parent myself is that you know once the child is actually eating something and getting some level of nutrition you're you're not really in trouble would I be right uh I suppose it would depend on what it is they're eating and there's two different types of kind of um fussy and picky feeders so you can have a picky feeder um or you can have a problem feeder So uh, a problem feeder would be much more severe where they're kind of, you know, they have very limited um, kind of range of foods that they will accept and in a particular manner. 
so they would typically eat maybe 20 different types of foods or less. Um, and those kind then if they if they lose, the problem is that as children go through growth spurts and different kind of stages, often a thing called food jagging occurs. So it's where they kind of like get stuck on a food um, and they might just kind of just want to eat that food or they might refuse that food entirely. So if a child has a very limited range of foods already and then they're losing foods from that limited range, it becomes even more kind of severe and, you know, you would need definitely intervention um, along with that. And ideally, you know, with a problem feeder, um, you know, that is something that does require assistance uh, and intervention. So if a child Um, will only eat boiled eggs, bananas, chicken nuggets and nothing else, you've got a problem. Or... Yeah, or, you know, kind of I've come across cases where it's just um, maybe white white bread uh, and plain pasta. So, you know, kind of like there's no nutritional value in any of those foods uh, at all. And, you know, you really need some kind of interventions there. So there's there's bigger things at play. So a lot of the time um, feeding issues can often be a little red flag as to is there some other developmental issue uh, associated or happening here uh, and should we get that investigated so what, what, yeah. what drives mom and dad crazy I think sometimes would be a child that's going into uh, crash or childcare or whatever kind yeah. of, and they get the food <laughs> there and they eat it away grand and happy but they're at home and you put it in front of them and they turn the nose up like what are they supposed to yeah. do what are you supposed to do then I know, I know. That is often a big conundrum for parents. Um, So a lot of the time it's to do with the actual ritual of feeding in in the creche. So it's very um, methodical. So, you know, kind of like it's at a particular time every day. Uh, They have little cues that help children kind of, you know, bring them into well, now I'm moving from playtime into feeding. So they, you know, pack up their toys, they wash their hands, they'll sit down, they'll, you know, be handed the plate. So they have no choice. Um, and that can often be as well a, a, a kind of too overwhelming for children is parents kind of think, well, we'll ask them what do they want. But actually, if you give somebody too much choice mm-hmm. they actually then are they're not able to make a decision so they're kind of like nothing or i don't know mm-hmm. so if you kind of limit it to you know like your main course is the same as everybody else so that's it so you're having you know a main and then for dessert do you want an apple or an orange or you know so really define and limit those um uh, choices mm-hmm. but also in in crash what they don't do is they don't distract the children. So there's no iPads, there's no tellies going on, you know, uh, and a lot of parents kind of think, well, if I just distract them and then shove the food in, at least they're fed. Um, But actually that's creating a problem because they're not mindful. They're not present in the tasks that they're actually carrying out. And so in school or in creche, they are fully aware. So as I said to you, they're they're brought right into this is what we're doing right now. We're changing kind of pace. We're feeding. We're mm. eating. It's so time we to all eat. have this little ritual. It yeah. is time to eat. Wash hands. So as a parent, you can implement these things at home as well. You can have... Di- Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Dinner roughly around the same time, you know, kind of like half five, six o'clock or half six in and around that. I mean, they, they don't tell the time as of yet. So when they're little, but like, you know, there are you can still implement that same kind of time frame. You can then say, you know, pull them out of whatever game they're playing. And don't forget, they get very immersed in play and they're completely in a different world and so this is where a lot of the kickback comes from as well is where parents just go right dinner and they're like yanked from the living room or the playroom Mm. up to the table and they're expected to eat but actually their head is still in the game game that they've just been yanked out of so you need to give these little subtle cues and kind of go okay five minutes to dinner time or even better is get them involved, kind of go, okay, you know, five minutes now and I'm going to get you to come in and help me set the table or put the knives and forks on the table or, you know, kind of, or even get them involved in preparation of the food, which is a fantastic thing, Mm. particularly for a picky eater. Um, If they start to see how the food is when it's raw, and then, you know, transferred so you can get them chopping very, you know, small like peppers yeah. and you know, little carrots and cucumbers and things like that and okay. have so that conversation. How, that might be a, a good way to get them involved in preparing summer food, like salads and yeah. stuff like that. That, that. That's give them a, well, give them a knife and treat them with care and cutting up a cucumber yeah. for the barbecue or something like that, that you can get them Absolutely. involved then. Yeah. I, I, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant for summer things. And there's loads of little knives. Just <laughs> I can hear your hesitation about encouraging knife, but it's not, you don't have to give them one of the sharp, sharp knives that we would use as yeah. adults. There are actually little knives uh, that you can get oh, um, specifically designed. Now, they will cut a carrot or something, but they won't cut a finger. I see. Uh, so have a look out for those. Yeah, they, they're the fantastic for getting them involved. Are yeah. you, I mean, are you opposed to too much choice? Absolutely. You know yourself, like you go to a restaurant and you've got a massive menu and it can take you 20 minutes trying yes. to figure out And, and what I go I for the fish and chips anyway, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So if you, with your child, you know, it's like... Oh, where's that line gone? Opening the wardrobe and I... 
say, what do you want to wear today? Hello? Yeah, we're there. You said it's like going Hello? to the wardrobe. Can you hear me, oh, Alwyn? sorry. You said it's like going <laughs> yeah, to the wardrobe. Yeah, so it's this, I can, yes. It is indeed. If you open a wardrobe to a three-year-old and say, what do you want to wear today? They'll, you know, they, they just won't be able to make a decision. But if you pull two outfits and say, which one do you want to wear? This one or this one? Then it's so much easier for them to be able. So they still feel they have control because they've made the decision. But actually, you've made the higher decision. You're where controlling it's the going control. To be a or B, you know, the red one or the blue one. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. But you have to, their brain can't, the can't it can't handle too much choice, gotcha. um, so you need to be able to uh, give them a smaller amount of choice. Um, yeah. uh, but definitely, they still feel in control when you give them a limited amount of choice. They yeah. don't realise that there was ten other options or a hundred other options. Because <laughs> um, if they didn't see them, they don't know they about them. But it makes pick. no difference. Exactly. Yeah. Somebody was exactly. on the phone here saying I was a very fussy eater as a child, and still a bit fussy, depending on things like smells and textures. And I also yeah. suffer from anxiety. Can the two be linked? Okay. Possibly. I mean, you know, it's a very broad brush question, mm. but um, there could be other... There could be other things there, um, maybe like uh, some retained primitive reflexes that do cause anxiety mm. uh, in adults or associated with high levels of anxiety in adults mm. um, that weren't, you know, kind of primitive reflexes should be integrated into the body and the brain by 12 months of age. Mm. And if they're not, a couple of them can cause absolutely high levels of anxiety yeah. um, if they're retained. If, so, if children don't yes. learn to enjoy different textures of food when they're small, can that carry into adulthood? Might be another way of asking that question. But there's a question. reason, well, yeah, there's a reason why they're not liking textures. And that's one thing I would always urge parents to keep an eye on is how often is your child picky? Is it, you know, kind of like once in a while, maybe when they're sick, which is completely understandable Understandable because the brain is directing energy and focus into repairing uh, as opposed to exploring and accepting new things. Um, and you'll often find that when they're ill, a food jag occurs. So if something like a food jag or burnout with food happens, just stop giving them that food for about two weeks and then you can reintroduce it again. And if they re- if they accept the food after the two week break, um, that's great. If not, then they may be a problem feeder. And that's when you really do need to go to maybe a feeding therapist okay. um, or a speech and language therapist and just have it looked. You know, I always say anything, any feeding issues tends to be for me a red flag because feeding, you have eight senses, the, the whole eight senses are being used in. Try that again. I'll win that drop. All, all the eight senses are being so, used. So um, it's a very complex uh, process. Yeah. It's a very okay. complex um, pattern that okay. we're doing in feeding and eating. So if there's any issues uh, associated, you know, uh, it's always better to get it checked out uh, okay. earlier than uh, later. Okay. Be- be- before that line drops on us, we will. Uh, ended there. Thank you very much for your time. Alwyn Moran of Cogni Kids, uh, 0818 96 96 96. Uh, I, I like the thing about choice. You know, you're not running a restaurant. <laughs> you're not. Like, give, give them the dinner that you're going to give the rest of the family. Give them the smaller version of what they're going to give the rest of the family. Mind your choices. What do you want, love? No, there's your dinner.
0818 96 96 96 on chicken pox Ashling I got my three kids vaccinated and I'm so delighted because I was very sick with it as a child Neve Lynch the pediatrician ah yeah we know Neve uh, she has information on her page about it because you can get seriously ill from a chicken pox the Corks 96 FM Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie for trusted tradespeople with a 12 month warranty backed by Board Gosh Energy. It's about damn time to celebrate. Yeah, it's that time of year again, and we're back doing it the Best of Cork Awards 2022. You can nominate now Best Breakfast, Best Tradesperson. Restaurant, takeaway, bar, burger, pizza, business, Instagram. How do you do it? Very simple. You go to 96fm.ie, nominate your favourite. And then this year, as well as everything else, there's a €5,000 media campaign from Cork's 96FM. Best of Cork Awards are brought to you by localheroes.ie. Your place to find trusted gas boiler installers, plumbers, electricians, and much more. Brought to you only by Cork's 96FM. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Serious podcasts are a series of conversations with artists about and often in front of their work. Each episode is recorded at Sirius and features an artist exhibiting on site. And the series is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music. Access all areas. Belinda Carlisle returns to Cork to mark 35 years as a solo artist with Lisa Loeb added as a very special guest for the show which takes place at the Opera House on July 15th. Tickets are available now from the box office or from CorkOperaHouse.ie Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all all areas. With Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialists in sound this summer. On Cork's 96 FM. There are any number, thankfully we have events again now, but there are any number of walking tours and historical tours and trips around town that you can take, which is great to see. But one of the more unusual ones, and I want to talk about it, is a guided musical tour of Jewish Cork. I spoke to Ruti Lax about the Jewish community in Cork a few months ago and a, a work in progress, I think, which is called Green Feather Boa that, uh, that, that they're working on. Uh, we might see how that's going, but Jewish Cork is fascinating. Um, we still have a place that is known, and I say this known affectionately, as Jewtown. And I was only driving through it the other day uh, on my way somewhere with the missus in the car, we were chatting about it. Um, Ruti, good to speak with you again. Good morning. Hi, PJ. Great to hear your voice and chat to you. Now, uh, as I said, I was driving through Jewtown, and, and I heard her. I knew we would be talking about this in in the days to come. Um, yeah. Tours of Jewish Cork. Let's talk first about Jewish Cork. Is it just down there, the place that we know, down around Jewtown, Shalom Park, and in towards the old synagogue, or does it spread further? Yeah, so 
it spreads further because, of course, a lot of Jewish people in Cork were business people in Cork in the mid-1900s, early early 1900s. In fact, um, up until about 1970, maybe. Um, so there were jewelers and carpenters and the carpet shop and um, dentists and lawyers and many more professions that I can't think of now. Yeah. And so, you know, there are a lot of sites there. And even going much further back, over 100 years ago, there was a music shop. So there are quite a lot of spots that have stories attached to them, Jewish stories attached to them. Right. Where was the music shop? 58 Patrick Street. Nice. <laughs> I know this, but I was just checking back through emails. 58 Patrick Street, and apparently Ireland's boy wonder violinist lived there because there was the music shop and then the family lived upstairs. And um, the story is that people used to gather on the, on, on the street and listen to him practising his violin. Um, and when, when did that close, yeah. really? I'm not sure about it's that. Um, and I was also told, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, we're going back kind of 100 years to, you All know, right. a few generations ago. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant. So yeah. th- the walking tour then is around all those areas, yeah? So it, it depends. I can do a short walk or a longer walk. So if we do a short walk, we take in the synagogue and the Passover bridge. Oh, can you still hear me? I can indeed. We take in the synagogue, the old synagogue on on um, uh, um, Satirist. Oh God, thank you, Satirist. Um, we 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 take in Shalom Park and Jewtown, of course, uh, the Passover Bridge, and we would have a look in Jewtown at specific streets and sites. Um, that have stories attached to them. And then we might go over to the Mary Elms Bridge, which, of course, I suppose is the most recent recent sign of uh, the old uh, Cork Hebrew congregation because um, they, you know, were involved with the building um, of the Mary Elms Bridge in some level. So, um, but if we do the long tour, then we could go around and just look at some of those shops. At, but it's just to get the feel, because what I feel is, as I walk around Cork, there is just a Jewish story emanating from, you know, even around the back of the Bank of Ireland behind Jacob's on the Mall, um, where there used to be the um, the Turkish bath. Yeah. And there would have also been um, a bath for, for, for Jewish women to, or for women to use a specific, and there's a specific entrance there that would have been used by the women because, of course, they didn't want, you know, they wanted a bit of privacy so they wouldn't go in the front entrance into the Turkish bath, that they would use the back entrance. And, yeah. and um, yeah. you know, so there's just stories everywhere. You yeah. know, you go to Shalom Park and you see Shalom Park now, but you don't see the Jewish boys playing cricket with their non-Jewish friends against the gas yard wall. When no, when, you don't. When it was together, Shalom, you know, Park, and... Shalom Park is so pretty, though, Ruthie. It's such a lovely little, yes, it's oh, a yeah, peaceful little corner. It really is. It really is a peaceful corner. It's fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, except when I'm there at the, towards the end of the tour, because I play a bit of music oh, in the you? park on my accordion, so it stops being peaceful at that point. <laughs> <laughs> For about ten minutes, you get a load of ay 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 Yeah, no. Yeah, is there a specific <laughs> is there a specific type or genre of music associated with the Jewish community in the city? Have you heard of klezmer music, PJ? 
You heard of klezma music? Try that. Try that name on me again. What's it called? It's klezma. K L E Z M E R. No, I haven't. Klezma music. Well, you'll have to come to a Fresh Air Collective gig because we play a lot of klezma music, and um, we um, it's it's the music of Eastern European Jewish weddings. Oh. So. Oh, I have heard so because I was at a Jewish wedding a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. Right, so there might have been a klezma band at that wedding, and there might have been some circle dancers. There were the circle so, dancing, yeah, um, yeah. Right, so that might have been klezma music. Um, so I suppose it's had a revival over the last fifty years because you know those old communities died out, and I don't, and you know, I don't think people came to Cork in 1880 playing klezma music. You know, um, <laughs> so. I don't think I don't think klezma would have really been heard in the streets um, of Cork at any point, but it is now. <laughs> what, what, what size is the Jewish community these days, Ruti in Cork? Yeah, yeah. What size Sorry, is the community? What size is the community these days? So the old Cork Hebrew congregation, which was the original community, is really down to a couple of members. But when the synagogue closed, some of the kind of blow-in Jews, like myself, mm. some of the blow-in Jews who'd come here from England and the States and Europe um, for, for, for want of a better lifestyle or whatever reason we came um, for, um, set up the new Cork Jewish community. It was called the Monster Jewish Community, but we recently changed it into the, the Cork Jewish Community. So yeah. um, that was uh, Davis and Val Davin, and mm-hmm. um, people set that up. And then recently I have got more involved um, with, with that, with yeah. the Cork Jewish Community. And I think we have about somewhere 80 or 90 people on our books. Right. Uh, but right. when we have in-person events, we maybe get 20 or so. So it's nice. It, it's, it, it's nice. It's something I'm... We were driving through what's affectionately known as, as Jewtown the other day, and my, my, my wife was asking yeah. me, you know, can, can we use that term these days? And I said, actually, I think we can, because it's one that, it's a term applied yeah. with great affection. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny, because, um, you know, when you when I take people around, and I say, and this is Jewtown, and then they go, <gasps> you know, is it, but it's, no, Absolutely, that's the name of the area, yep. you know, and it was applied with affection. The Jewish community were really involved in the local life yeah. in, in Cork and yeah. just the kids were like any other kids, you know, yeah, yeah, except yeah. that they, you know, had to leave school early on a Friday maybe to <laughs> and go and help this beautiful, uh, their house for Shabbat. This, this beautiful park in the middle of it. When is your next tour happening? Um, I'm doing a tour in a couple of weeks. Um in um, mid-July, the 14th of July. So anybody that is interested should contact me probably through my website, um, which I can give you the name of, and or they, they can email me. Um, and then during National Heritage Week, so on Cork Heritage Open Day, there'll be a tour. Excellent. Okay. Um, that's that, that, and then I'll do one later. You know, when people are interested, if they contact, then we make it happen, basically. Um, it's, yeah. it, it's fascinating, and the history of the Jewish community in, in Cork is a fascinating one. And uh, once, and, and it's great to see it, be, it being kept alive, even though, even though the community is very small now. Ruthie, thank you very much. Ruthie Lax, uh, you'll find her, uh, R-U-T-I-L-A-C-H-S. And the next one she says on the 14th of July... It's a bit close to the holidays for me to make it, but I will definitely make the one she does during the 
the Heritage Week. 0818 96 96 96. Speaking of heritage, our GAA heritage. Uh, Patrick was on to know, could I give something a mention? This is a, a tribute and a celebration of two Cork GAA fans of great longevity. Uh, it's a Cork GAA Sports Life Project uh, Hall of Fame Tributes Gallery presented by Derry Doody and Tom the Bomber Roach of Cork's GAA Rebel Band. It'll be a music tribute by Cork's own Walter O'Leary. It's at the bars... Friday the 8th at 9 o'clock honouring the late Tony O'Leary and Jonty O'Leary Tony, or Tony Leahy rather and Jonty O'Leary, Tony from Passage and Jonty, the famous Jonty from Bandon Road and also announcing the official launch of Cork's Champion Fans Awards uh, it's a really special night for Cork GA fans, Derry and the Bomber are organising it and Derry can be contacted for more deets on 089-247-5305-089-247-5305 A couple in B&Q were left flushed with embarrassment when their toddler did a poo-poo in a display toilet I saw this! I saw this! Caroline and hubby Aaron were in the DIY shop when their son Jacob Four said, "That's the loo. I need to go oh, for it." Yeah. You can do it when you be in pools. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool, exclusively Skoda in the city. Find your next car online at noeldc.com. Open twenty four seven. The lines are live, and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 9696 96 96 96 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan On Cork's 96FM Yeah, on Jewish Cork, Louise was on to say A fellow MA student of mine, Betty O'Mahony, wrote a poem called Jewtown Which is on the front building on the left-hand side of the Savoy. It's part of a heritage project. I've seen it, Louise, as I walk in there the odd morning when I get the bus in and take a stroll up Patrick Street. Uh, and yes, there's a few, actually there, near gentlemen's quarters around the Savoy, there's some lovely stuff in the windows. And there's just one particular morning I stopped, I caught my eye and I went reading it. And I think I've seen that little poem called Jewtown. Uh, thanks, Louise, for that reminder. 0818 96 96 96. Your text or WhatsApp and for your voice messages 083 396 96 96. Your email opinion at 96fm.ie. And if you pick up on our podcasts or if you listen to our overnight repeat or anything like that, uh, you'll know that opinion at 96fm.ie is possibly the best way to get in touch with us. I, I watched. Um, a video this morning, which which was one of these, you know, these videos that come under the the general term strangely soothing. Uh, it was a video about how to get the seeds out of a tomato, right? But now bear with me here. Now bear with me. It was a a video about how to get the seeds out of a tomato, okay, and to strain them off and dry them out. And have them ready to plant your own tomatoes next spring. 
and I watched about three and a half minutes. And I thought, I might even try that at home. And that's seed saving. And we're being encouraged to save seeds. And we're being encouraged to grow our own, whether it's in a little window box or just a pot or in the garden. And we it's part of the biodiversity and it's part of, I suppose, looking after uh, ourselves, making ourselves self-sufficient. And we need seeds and we need to be growing our own food. Deirdre Morrissey is with Irish Seed Savior, Savers. I think, Deirdre, you might have been on that video I watched this morning to you. <laughs> yes, indeed, uh, PJ. And uh, that was me in, in the video. And, um, and as you said... <laughs> Something kind of soothing to to do, and yeah. um, and something very easy for yeah. for everyone to do. Well, 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 as someone who munches his way through pounds of tomatoes, <laughs> particularly this time of year, yeah. uh, I, and, I, and I love the you know the really small sweet ones. I love those ones. Like oh, yeah. it was fascinating. I didn't know, for example, that jelly mm-hmm. that's around them, yeah. or what seems to be jelly, that that's to stop them from actually germinating. Yes, that's right. Um, that gelatinous matter, as you as you, you so rightly say, is there to um, just to protect the seed. Um, seeds are amazing. They are absolutely amazing. They have just got so such variety. They've got such inbuilt vigor. Um, they, that they're where all life begins, you know. Mm. Um, and uh, this tiny little seed, you know, when you plant it in the springtime and you just watch the tomato plant grow and it goes right up to the top of your polytunnel or outside in your balcony or whatever. Um, and then you have that amazing fruit um, to eat as well. And mm. as you said, so many different varieties, so many different shapes and sizes and mm. for different uses. Um, and, and we can save those seeds as long as our seeds are open pollinated. And that's, that's a very important um, piece because open pollinated seeds, they're basically seeds that are naturally pollinated and um, reproduced by the birds, the bees, the flies, the butterflies. Okay. Um, and not all seeds are open pollinated. Some would be, not to get too technical, but they'd be called hybrids or F1s. Mm. So, so how would I know, dear? Like, for, yeah. for example, now, um, I remember a couple of years ago um, in a, um, a garden centre Yes. Uh, in springtime, there was these little potted tomato plants and yes. it just said bring it home give it the odd drop of water and a bit of food and keep yes. it in the sun yes. and it fed us with lovely sweet little tomatoes for the whole summer and I'm thinking could could you actually do that well, yourself? Well the and the, but the first thing is to ask, is it open pollinated? Okay. Because if it's not, then you won't get exactly the same um, crop as you had before because two parent lines, let's say, had been crossed. But if they're open pollinated, it just means that they, the seeds themselves can be saved and they can be grown on and you'll get exactly what you what mm. you had the first year, which is wonderful. And there's so much variety and taste out there. So, so uh, if I wanted to buy tomatoes yeah. um, with a view to maybe saving the seeds w- yeah. where would I go do I have to go to a, sp- a specialized place like the, like a market or what well if you're if you're growing your tomatoes you start off with really good seed um, so as I said open pollinated and organic seeds um, organic seeds really as well are the only way that we can really ensure that our plants are safe for pollinators and wildlife you know they don't have any of these um, you know chemicals and and uh, fertilizers in them and um, that will harm the bees if they, if they, you know, go on that plant mm. and take the pollen from them. So, obviously, Irish Seed Savers sell a huge variety of different seeds. You can come to us for sure. 
Um, and we also, like, we, we have saved, um, we're 30 years now since last year, so 30 years of, of working and trial and errors and, and learning. Um, but basically, our seed is, a lot of it is heritage seed as well. So it's been grown here in Ireland. It's adapted to our climate um, and it's very suitable for our growing conditions because, as you know, <laughs> we don't get the warmest of summers sometimes. No. We get the rain. Um, but, you know, um, all, of, all of the seeds that we sell... Um, are, are open pollinated and organic and, and are fantastic for all of the pollinators and for the biodiversity in, in anyone's garden. Yeah, I mean, like those of us with nice gardens and you know, like to spend a lot of time in them in the summer, like, can, can we play a, a role in biodiversity Absolutely. by planting stuff? Yeah. Absolutely. And just to kind of go back to what biodiversity is, it's not just bees, you know, it is bees and flies and hoverflies and um, ants and all of the birds, all of all of life. We are part of biodiversity. We are a part of life. And it's also the habitats of those, um, you know, living little creatures. So anything we can, you know, we can do so much, um, even if we have a small space, but basically growing food um is, is fantastic growing flowers um, that are open pollinated again um, and then interplanting maybe you know food and flowers um, because I know myself I had a kale plant that I just let go to flower and let go to seed I'd had enough and I just left it there for the pollinators particularly mm. um, and the beautiful um, yellow flowers that come on cabbages and kales and things yeah. absolutely thronged with bees and, and flies I couldn't get over it there were, there were over 20 because I counted them because I'm obviously very interested in that sort of thing sure, um, sure. but you know even letting letting a plant go to seed if you're doing a few carrots letting a carrot go fully to, to, to seed you know most people never get to see a carrot beyond you know pulling it up and eating it but if you leave a carrot in the ground and let it go it'll grow really really tall mm. you know up to about five foot beautiful what? beautiful umbels oh you'll have to come down five to feet? seed savers and see them <laughs> you'll have to come up to about five foot Beautiful. What what size bubbles. is the carrot under the ground? If the <laughs> <laughs> well, it, well, you see, that's the thing. You see, the carrot. We think the carrot is there for us just to eat, yeah. um, but actually, the carrot is the food source for the plant to yeah. reproduce. So that's like the food source. So if you leave a carrot in the ground, it'll just start to produce. It'll grow right. really tall, grow into beautiful flowers. The flowers, white flowers will die off. They're like an umbrella, beautiful. Yeah. And then the seeds are produced and we can save those seeds. I'm thinking the carrot, if you have it grown to five foot, the, the carrot itself must be the size of a fire extinguisher under the ground. <laughs> well, you see, it is a root. And yeah. after roots, yeah, yeah, do, yeah. They, they hold it down, you know, yeah. they hold pa- it in pa- there. Potato flowers are lovely as well, aren't oh, they? absolutely. Lovely white ones. You can get purple ones, yellow ones. Absolutely. And they're great for, for pollinators as well. We don't have to do anything huge. Do you know what I mean? There's, yeah. Even if we are growing a few things, we're already helping helping the pollinators. Yeah. And if we want to save seed, dear yeah. what are the easiest things to save it from? Absolutely. Well, I, as you said, the tomato is quite easy. Um, I would say the peas are very, very easy. Um, I, I like to think of them as having your cake and eating it as well. You can grow your peas and you can just eat away, pick 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 what you need, leave some of them until they go really, really dry and crisp, you know, at the very end of the season, bring them in, dry them out on a, on a tray um, and put them into a brown envelope, maybe into a biscuit tin, into a nice cool, dry place where you don't have fluctuating temperatures mm. and, and they're your peas for, for next year. Cool. Um, cool. Think, 
Do you have to have a garden? I mean, can you do it on a balcony or a window box? No, you don't have to have a garden. I have a fantastic friend down in Cork and she has the amazing urban garden. Um, You know, you can grow things in window boxes, as you mentioned. You can grow them in containers, in pots, um, especially things like um, herbs are great, you know, chives and coriander, Mm. rosemary, things you'd be using in the kitchen anyway. Um, And letting those go to seed, like I don't know if you've ever seen rosemary go to flower. It's absolutely gorgeous. Well, yep. my, my missus is the gardener in our house and it's funny, we were we were out on one of the rare sunny evenings we were sitting out and we were having a bit of dinner out and she said she gets, and she went over to a little pot in the corner and she yeah. cut fresh mint Yeah, she'd uh, been growing her own in the it's corner it's fabulous, it's fantastic lemon balm, chives you know, all of those things and anything that's vertical as well, so you can even grow peas on a balcony, do you know what I mean if mm. you have um, some, some grow bags or, or a couple of um, a couple of window boxes that you put really good um, compost because you know soil is where it's at as well you know we can have good seeds and we can have the right environment but the soil is extremely important and we're only just even beginning to learn about the intricacies of all the interactions mm. um, between all the little microorganisms in the soil so good soil good organic compost um, if you can get some farmer manure from a, a friend you know or somebody mm. locally that's also excellent um, like we were at Bloom recently um, we were had a, had a little stand up there and we brought um, beautiful terracotta pots with courgettes growing in them and mm. pe- we could have sold them a million times over. People right. were just fascinated but you can grow amazing courgettes and um, salads especially as well. Salads are lovely because you can just you know get the cut and come varieties mm. and you can pick your salads but so many things that you can do you know and it doesn't have to be you don't have to do it all. Do you know, if we all do a little bit, I mm. think that's what's the most important. Great. All right. Your website is seedsavers.ie. Deirdre, thank you very much. 0818 96 96 96. Irish Seed Savers. Allmore.ie. Thank you, Deirdre. Tomatoes or herbs or potatoes. I have this thing, a five foot, a five foot t- tomato plant, or not tomato plant, um, carrot. <laughs> the thing is the size of a yeah. Actually, we'll say I mentioned my good pal. Um, he's overseas at the moment. Uh, Jim Ganey, uh, Jimmy Lee in the music scene. Jim is in uh, Australia at the moment with his son. His son lives over there. And Killian's been there for a few years now and he's gone over to see him. But there's a picture that Jim put up on his Facebook page. And I thought, you lucky, lucky man. I have, a, I've said this before, I have a weakness. I don't know why, but I have got a weakness for sunflowers. I absolutely love the things. The bigger, the better. The bigger, the... And he's, there he is standing in the middle of a sunflower, what looks like a sunflower farm somewhere in Australia. And I thought, what a beautiful, beautiful place. I think there's one in Carlo. I don't know, but I, I have a thing about sunflowers. Just thought I'd put that out there. 0818 96 Ready to go. The showtime. Cork's 96FM. Best of Cork Awards are back. It's time to nominate places and services that are the best in Cork. Best in Cork. From best beauty salon to breakfast. Best takeaway to gym. Hairdresser to hotel. Best bar to best local tradesperson and more. See 96FM.ie now to nominate. Then stay listening. It's about damn time. The Best of Cork Awards with localheroes.ie for trusted tradespeople with a 12-month warranty backed by Board Gosh Energy. Only on Cork's 96FM. Here's a question. If anyone can help us with this, it'd be great. Ted was on. 
he needs to do a driver theory test to get a D driver's license. But Ted says his computer illiterate. Uh, he rang the testing centre and the guy who took the call couldn't answer his question. Is there a paper-based theory test? Has anyone been able to do the theory test without having to do it on a computer? Because Ted doesn't think he'd be able to manage doing it on a computer. If anybody knows, you can let us know at 0818 96 96 96. Read a story in The Sun recently um, about car security. And you know the way most cars now, even the most bog-standard little car now, comes with not so much a key anymore that you stick into the steering column and turn it and start it and all that, but with a, with a little fob, uh, it's like a little square thing and you stick it in your pocket and you walk up to the car and the car door opens and you walk away from the car and the car door locks and goes beep beep and then you sit into the car and you press a button. Modern car key fobs um, and I kind of want, are they kind of safe because like when you walk up to it, the car goes tick and opens up and you walk away, the car closes. But clearly it's done through some frequency between the fob and the car. And I read this piece in the sun where this uh, car security expert says the thieves were now using high-tech gear to copy or snatch the signal being emitted from your key tag and then use it to rub your car. And once they're able to generate the frequency, they can rub your car and drive away in it. And he was saying things like, put your key fob into a biscuit tin at home at night, and that'll stop people robbing the frequency from outside your house, which sounds a bit strange. But I knew it's a thing that Liam Brady would know about, Liam being uh, a private investigator and electronic countermeasure specialist. And he joins me, and we'll chat about that and a few other things. Uh, Liam, good morning to you. Good morning, BJ. Good to speak with you again. Those little key fobs, I have, I have one of them for for our car, and I often thought, like, how safe is this thing? It it opens and closes as I walk toward the car. If someone can pick up that frequency, they're off with my car. Well, <clears throat> there are several different uh, methods, but as the cars now become far more security uh, prepared and conscious, like the very very high end uh, systems are near impossible um, without very, very sophisticated uh, equipment and skilled people. They literally have to get uh, usually into the EC uh, unit and it's quite a complicated uh, method. They can also use uh, jammers that, for example, uh, while you come out of your house to get into your car, they can jam the signal between your key fob and the car and it'll render the car, uh, the key fob useless. And then maybe you might take off um, or, you know, your car isn't going to work. And at that stage, uh, they may have a go then at lifting the car with uh, a particular scanner. And the scanner has to communicate between uh, the EC board that's built into the alarm system in the car and your key fob. So you have to be within 15 probably 15 to 30 feet of the car and the key fob with a, a sophisticated piece of uh, a scanner right. to be able to read the signals. And then in some cases, of course, it'll, it'll open the car and it'll actually get the car started. Now, the common one here was when uh, ladies were shopping, you know, they go back to their car or they'll park in their car and 
uh, uh, let's say outside Lidl, and the scammer would follow them or get near to the car if it was a nice mark or something like that, and then they could try to get the signal and immediately clone it to a, a transmitter yeah. and a receiver unit that will open and close the car. But I will tell you that they are very, very far and few between, and there needs to be a good, good reason why they want to go through all that trouble. Now, to come to the protection of your car, if you're worried about that, and there's an industry out there that sells Faraday bags, that's Faraday bags, you, people can Google this and yeah. buy these from anything from $4, 4 euro on the internet, and you just pop your key into, keep your key fob in the little wallet, and it blocks the signal. And yeah. you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned there about the uh, biscuit tin. That actually works because remember, a signal is just like a telephone signal, a GSM signal. You, if you put metal in front of it, it'll, it can block it or yeah. uh, not enhance it enough to be able to obtain data. Yeah. So yeah. you can buy the little boxes and to protect your keys and, and take them, take your keys to your bedroom at night. Mm. It's the same thing in work. If you're, let's say you're driving your car, your uh, car is parked near your premises and you're worried about your key fob. But if you want to know the real way of protecting your vehicle, you buy, it doesn't matter what your car is, you simply buy wheel locks and steering wheel locks and yeah. put them in as added security and stop the nonsense of worrying about the key fob stuff because... Nobody wants to get into a car with a big bar across the steering wheel and start being observed. Yeah, t- time is of the essence to these fellas, and if if they have to break a lock or something, they won't. They're not going to yeah. bother. Mm-hmm. And it's usually people like jewelers, uh, for example, that are targeted because any jeweler or a representative of a jewelry company or somebody that's carrying like uh, valuable equipment or and a lot of the espionage cases we've dealt with was where. You have people carrying very serious uh, uh, loaded computers park up. You know the stories about parking up at the garage to get fuel and coming out and the bag is gone yeah. and they don't even realise it till uh, they're back at work or a day or two later. Um, so it's not just stealing the car. Sometimes it's getting just to get into the executive's car to get his laptop. Mm. Yeah, or get into a garage where the car might be kept. And they're they're easier to do, aren't they? Those locks. Well, they they yeah. If the guy now knows what he's at, or the thief knows what he's at, for example, a key fob uh, works on a four four three, you know, frequency, and, and you, if you just get a transmitter, well, very hard to get some of this equipment now, but you get it that it'll activate. Uh, signals that will eventually it'll trigger the garage to lift up. At the same time. Incidentally, if that person, like a lot of houses now, have fobs or have uh, lights in their house that come on because they, you know, on a similar system, that's when, when, uh, you know, so security lights around the vehicle that will come on are very important as well at your garage. Yeah, or in your driveway. But if you are worried about, and let your insurance company know, which is great, you get a reduction, is to make sure that your security for your car is very serious and that not only as you drive it into a driveway that you can simply have a drop hole uh, these are all readily available in lock shops and on the internet mm. 
Uh, if you have a lock shop in your town, for example, let's take Cork City, go into the, one of the great lock shops and they'll have lots of uh, different samples of equipment for you. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, Liam, there's this website and you... We were just chatting about it here this morning in, in the office, and where it comes from, I don't know. But you you pay forty bucks a month, and you get access to webcams from hotel rooms around the world. What's that about? Uh, it's a pretty scary. Yes, it's on the, it's on the very serious level of uh, of uh, electronic surveillance, and. If I can categorise the areas that are targeted, like Airbnb is the one that people will read about at least once or twice a month. Yeah, we had an an incident not a million miles from us here in the city a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. where someone found a camera planted in their Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I probably dealt with that uh, recovery. But what happens here is um, some landlords uh, hit thought they were okay. Some thought it was okay because they wanted to keep an eye on their property. And some did it for completely illicit reasons. Uh, where they would, once there's Wi-Fi, uh, the internet Wi-Fi is there, they can hide cameras, and they're so tiny nowadays. We have them. You can imagine the size of the camera on your phone. That gives everybody an example. For Jesus, look what your phone is capable of. Don't yeah. look at the lens. It's so tiny. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. But that can be built into uh, fire extinguishers, alarm, uh, PIR boxes, anything. And... It can be activated when the person wants to activate it and deactivate it. So, uh, you know, that's one thing that with Airbnb, people now are cautious of uh, cameras and sometimes they'll have a, a place scanned before they go to, to stay there and um, and so on. But to go back to the, that horrible uh, piece of work that was a bunch of... We, we, I'm not sure if I can even say this, but a bunch of Eastern Bloc people, Eastern countries and so on, and even uh, an issue there with China where a group of people had gone, uh, this is probably going back four years now, right. um, had booked into hotels and booked into the marital suites and so on, and they were able to obtain uh, the simple Wi-Fi codes in the hotel and they could, you know, they, they it's not rocket science, but they would have a little bit of training or they can watch how, it's, how these things are fitted or swapped. And they'd go with several different types of uh, instruments, cameras, and they can hide them, get them in on the Wi-Fi system, just like you connect up your exact same thing, connecting up your computer uh, when you want to use the Wi-Fi. And the camera would be locked in and powered from... Sometimes the smoke alarm, sometimes uh, the actual uh, lighting system or so on. And they do, in the region of 100 or 150, supposedly, and it's said that there's up to 150,000 of these cameras were fitted over two or three years in in different hotels around the world. And of course, as Um, long as the hotel password doesn't change. It's not changed, yeah, yeah. And then there's sometimes... It's very simple. They would, if they were had a hotel, we heard about an issue in one country where uh, the particular camera, when they every two weeks or three weeks, the camera would be changed. So they'd go back every couple of months. Sorry, the passwords would be changed. So they would go back every couple of months and and just simply realign the camera, reset the camera. Now, 
the problem with this was they made this was a business whereby um, it it you know you pay forty dollars a month supposedly you pay forty dollars a month and you get the passwords of any of these hotels and you scan them in and find the ones that are active or working. And uh, that was that's a that's a big thing now, and that's that was extremely active. Um, like up the last year, I had uh, conversations with some of my uh, European colleagues, and um, it's a dreadful thing to know that that can happen. But remember, it's exactly the same thing that can happen in Airbnb or any hotel, yeah. and and indeed um, in houses, normal houses. Uh, people and sometimes in domestic issues mm. and that employ that as a means of gaining uh, information or voice. Wi- Wi-Fi is the handiest thing ever but also it can be uh, someone ways, somebody's way into your most private life. If they well, it, well it, it is and yeah. and I mean the amount of you must remember we, we live in, a, in, a, in our European world now of GDPR and GDPR is Look, well, let's say four, five years going along. Yeah, twenty eighteen. Yeah, and and to get us, to, you know, it's up and running. Effectively, it's up and running, and it means that um, if you have a camera, like for example, a lot of people have uh, the Ring doorbell. The yeah, called the Ring doorbell, and yeah. it's brilliant. It's an absolute fabulous. You can see who's at the door. Yeah. Somebody comes up, rings it, and you're sitting there. Uh, in work page eight, the next thing a picture comes, a little ding and there's the postman, there's your sister, there's whoever and you can talk to them and tell them look I'm not in but if you want to get into the house the key is at such a place or go ahead or whatever but the problem is and what people have tried to uh, accuse the system of in some cases was that it's, it's looking out onto the street so it can pick people up and down yeah. and they should be deducted from any video. We and so had on. a solicitor run about this a few months ago, actually, yeah. Yes. Now, to, to be honest with you, you, you do, you know, it's there for security. I'm, I'm, by the way, all pro, pro CCTV. I'm completely pro CCTV. I think it should be literally put everywhere, but managed by people that are trained to deal with the information and so on. When you walk down, let's pick O'Connell Street, there's 100,000 people walking by you. So what's the difference? Uh, the camera looking at you, it's, it's, it's because it records and so on. It doesn't matter if it keeps a memory for a terabyte time for a six months or three. It doesn't matter. It's there for your own security. It's there to, to it's mm-hmm. essential. And because thieves have got so uh, so sophisticated now, but worse again, they've, they've more nerve now than they've ever had. They're not afraid to do anything. Yeah. Um, the chances of them getting convicted is so difficult to convict anybody now. Yeah. But they, but uh, you, the cameras are so so essential. You know. And any anybody that tries to block anything like that or put up a battle or use GDPR or whatever would really want to stop and think as to why the camera is there. Yeah, uh, It's there for their protection. One, one last one I want to bring up with you, Liam, with regard to holiday time. And I know it's, it's, it's slightly dark, but I, yes. I want to bring it up. Um, yes. People are going on holidays and they're going to the beach and taking photographs on the beach, particularly 
you know, the parents of Smallies, and I know there are loads of them listening to me now, and they're looking forward to getting off to Majorca or Lanzarote and the le- letting the kids play on the beach. You'd advise against sharing photographs, I think. Well, the first thing, <clears throat> this is years old now. This, this is again, again, since the day of the camera, the box camera even. There are people out there that, uh, where children are running around on the beach and little kids are running around, um, you know, just the way kids run around in the sand and the water and they're, they're running around, some of them naked and whatever. And there are people there that are videoing those kids or photographing those kids just to, to genuinely go and put on <clears throat> websites. Like they collect information. Uh, you have the pedophile industry that will collect information. Yeah, um, to, to, and it can be with nowadays with the cameras can be tiny and have a huge range. And remember, they're 4K quality. And they only cost a couple of hundred quid. So you're talking about sophisticated cameras that don't cost a lot of money in the hands of a paedophile or somebody that's collecting information and selling it onto the web. And the problem is that, okay, we have adults, you have young uh, teenagers and that going around, maybe getting their photographs taken and so on, fine. But where where it comes to kids, it's a different ballgame. And they're selling that information onto the porn sites that are I think the message is, though, Liam, with regard to... There are high-tech stuff out there, but I think for for people who are getting on a plane next Saturday morning, I think your message is be very careful about taking a picture of the smallies on the beach and putting it on your social media, because it can... Don't do it at all. Don't don't put... uh, Social media... Social media... Is, is great fun and it's, it's it's meant to be innocent great fun it's it's the exact opposite it's the exact opposite you take a photograph of your child you take a photograph of yourself and your husband or yourself and your partner or your friends and put it on social media it, it, it can it doesn't matter what anybody tells you about whatsapp or any of these things it's a free they're free apps and trust me when i tell you there is nothing out there free there is nothing out there free. My, my offices in industry are not allowed to use any social media whatsoever. We have secure, obviously, because of our jobs. But WhatsApp, anything like that, they're all free. And you go, for every, t- every time you go to do something on your phone and it get, gets onto a free app, that app downloads your phone in a nanosecond, the contents of it. And if the photographs are usable, there is a... Uh, system, a software system in there that could grab those photographs and use them anywhere else in the world. And people don't pay enough attention to this. And then, of course, you'll have people coming along saying, oh, I was scammed, I was this, I was that. And they never pay. Open up an app and you're, that's it. Your phone is now just being handed on. It's as simple as that. Uh, one last one, Liam, before I let you go. This has come in from Terry, who's listening. His friend has an Airbnb. Uh, how can yeah. they make sure that there hasn't been a camera installed by a guest or that their Wi-Fi hasn't been hacked? It's an excellent question. It's a, f- a very good question. And, the, and and does it happen? Of course it happens. Um, it's, it, for example, let's say you have an Airbnb down in, in Cork there, and whatever, and you have a family going in, an innocent family going in, and, or an innocent couple going in, and... Uh, there's a camera in there. Obviously, that Wi-Fi can be used to transmit uh, that camera. And now there are other types of cameras that don't use the Wi-Fi, by the way. They use RF. 
and if the person is living next door or pulls a car up outside and it has a range of 50 metres or 100 metres, they can pick it up on a, an RF receiver and screen a, a video and audio screen and they can sit there and watch them. Now, that is a simple, that is a simple thing to do, but to have it detected means you have to have specialised equipment. It means, well, you can try search and find. Some people have searched and found them themselves. There's no simply way of doing it, but search and finding something that's a mark on a wall where there's something there uh, that shouldn't be there. You just have to physically examine it. Whereas when I go in, I bring in very specialised equipment that will detect it straight straight away and indeed show me what the camera's looking at and we find it yeah. very quickly. So, but but they that particular listener now is part of a good question. Um, people that are regularly using the same B&B and if the landlords were worried and they could think and say, well, look, you know, three times a year I have the Bradys down and they bring their kids with them or that couple come down and they stay there and, you know, they're, they're not paying any attention to any cameras or anything. And, of course, they can get video. Absolutely. I've had many, many cases um, and will continue to have in relation to <clears throat> hidden audio and visual cameras. And, again, these things are readily available. The, the, yeah. You just go on the Internet and bring a couple of hundred dollars with you and or euro in some case. You can buy them here in Ireland, yeah, yeah, there's little, uh, it's, it's, it is a minefield out there. Thank you very much for being with us again, and we'll catch up uh, in the months ahead. That is uh, Liam Brady. He's the only one of his kind in the country. He's a forensic electronic countermeasure specialist. He knows his stuff, basically, and that's a very important one, I think, for people going on holidays. Uh, you'd be best advised not to put up any pictures of your kids on the beach or anywhere like that. Just, do, just don't do it. It's lovely, but if you want pictures, buy a disposable camera and take old-fashioned pictures and get them developed. Wouldn't be putting any pictures of the kids up on on social. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Do you remember the Higgs boson was discovered a few years ago? No, I don't remember what it was, but it was discovered. It was a particle. And it was discovered in a thing called the Hadron Collider, which is this thing under the French-Swiss border, where they set up crashes between electronic particles. It's all about developing new kinds of physics. And they discovered this Higgs boson uh, 10 years ago. Now they're starting it up again to see what else they can discover. This is about the next stage of science and physics and discovery and what use we might put it to. Leo Enright, space correspondent, is well familiar with this uh, carry-on. Basically what they're doing, Leo, isn't it? They're just putting atoms and protons and other such things crashing into one another at a rate of knots to see what happens. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, indeed, that's exactly it. But uh, what they're doing this time, what makes this different from previous efforts, uh, is that they're going to be smashing them together uh, 40 times faster uh, than they did before. Um, They've massively upgraded Uh, the Large uh, Hadron Collider, so that they can fire these beams of uh, particles uh, at 
humongous speeds and and crash them together uh, in a tiny little stream. It's about the width, about a tenth the width of a human hair. Uh, this wow. beam of particles, and it's go it it uh, goes all the way around this huge collider, as you say. It, it's in it's it's underground France and Germany. Uh, and uh, sorry, in Switzerland, France and Switzerland, and it goes around uh, this uh, this circular collider, and then they crash into each other uh, at unbelievable speeds. It's what helped them to discover the Higgs boson uh, ten years ago, mm. and what they're hoping now is that they'll be able to see uh, other particles uh, that we think may exist. And this is how physics and science and I, I take it things like space exploration and an understanding of space, that's how they evolve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this really does go back to literally the first moments of creation. Um, the, the Higgs boson um, was postulated by physicists who were trying to com- explain how this huge hot mass of stuff uh, after the Big Bang, uh, came together to form planets uh, and eventually to form us, you and me, mm. uh, and they needed a, a particle uh, which was capable of basically herding cats. Um, it had to be able to take these uh, fundamental particles, the, the so-called fermions, the quarks and leptons. I mean, these are all names. Uh, quarks, by the way, PJ, has a strong Dublin connection. It's actually named after the sound of the seagulls outside my door here. Quark, <laughs> quark for Master Mark. It's, it's from uh, James Joyce's um, uh, book. Uh, so they, these things, they require a Higgs boson to organize them so that they can build us. Right. Uh, and that's the big discovery. Uh, what, what is exciting, but to some scientists, really depressing, PJ, Uh, is that the Higgs boson exists. We now know it does. We learned that 10 years ago. There were a lot of scientists who really were hoping that it didn't exist. Because if that was the case, then all our models, it's called the standard model of particle physics. Without the Higgs boson, the standard particle uh, model collapses. You don't have a standard model and you have to go back to the beginning and start all over again. Is this kind of, fact, you know, when, we, when we look out, and you and I have spoken before about the vastness of the universe, the sheer vast fascination of what is out there, is this man's way of trying to make what's out there happen down here so we can understand it? Is that what all this is? Well, it's in part, PJ, it is to understand how all of this came about. Uh, And in the process of understanding how everything came about, how we got to be here, um, we learn basic fundamental things about nature, uh, which help to explain phenomena, uh, which we cannot at the moment explain uh, with our, you know, the standard model is intended to explain everything that we see in nature. And as I said, so far, it seems to be doing a pretty good job. Now, if you think about, for instance, when you and I were living in a cave um, and we were cowering in there from, you know, bears and, and tigers um, all those, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, uh, we were afraid of everything 
because we didn't understand it. Um, and what's, what has changed in those thousands of years, some will argue not enough has changed, <laughs> but what has fundamentally changed is that, that we now really do understand a huge amount about how nature works. And so we're not as terrified. It allows us, for instance, to see into the future. Uh, it allows scientists to tell us that if we don't change our behavior, we will sink because of global warming, for instance. Mm. So all of this science that's being done, which seems detached from our reality, um, you know, big collider, you know, in uh, Switzerland, you know, what's that got to do with us? But this fundamental physics is what teaches us how the world works, and it's how we warn ourselves about the dangers. And mm. the real issue often now is getting people to listen. Yeah. Does it maybe, um, or could it by accident show us ways to combat that which is going wrong? Oh, absolutely, PJ. No question about that. I mean, another uh, piece of work that's being done in Europe at the moment, uh, which is of fundamental importance to exactly your question, um, is, is, the, is, is a reactor down in the south of France, near where I, I, I stay very often. Uh, and this, this is a, a project which is designed to harness the energy of the sun uh, and to turn it into a safe nuclear reactor. Uh, it's called fusion power. Yeah. And we've been working on it now for, I mean, look, uh, PJ, honestly, ever since I was in college studying science, they were telling us we're 30 years away from mm -hmm. the fusion mm -hmm. reactor. Mm -hmm. I remember still, my physics PJ, teacher, my physics teacher in Colossus de Christi, Noel Brett, and that's not yesterday, telling me about fusion. I remember. Exactly. We've been learning, we've been told for every, uh, all the time, 30 years. It's still 30 years away, but that is exactly the sort of physics that is going to allow us to finally abandon um, car, you know, fossil fuels. And, you know, the, with, with, fu with fusion power, we could, for instance, you know, with, with a wheelbarrow of a particular type of helium, um, with a wheelbarrow full of it, we could fuel Ireland for a year. Wow. And you could eat your dinner off the top of the nuclear reactor. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. It was, the, and it's, it's, it's theory, but they're trying to make it fact, isn't that it? It will happen, PJ. Really? <laughs> you, I, I may not be around to see it, but it will happen. Uh, it can't happen fast enough. Yeah. Because, you know, we're behaving badly. And, um, you know, if, if, if our badness, bad behavior catches up with us before the answers, then we are really in trouble. So people need to listen. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, there's a very funny article I read about the, the starting up of the Hadron Collider again and, uh, and Stranger Things. <laughs> Have you seen that? Uh, no, I haven't, PJ. Sorry. <laughs> this, no, it's the Stranger Things television show. It's all about things happening through portals and wormholes and all that kind of thing. And, and then someone is saying that maybe if, if, if Stranger Things... Uh, happened in real life it will be happening through things like the Hadron Collider but it's just a bit of fun. Leo, thank you very much. It's always great to, to get your understanding and your breaking down of complex science and physics. I've read about that before. That's the big fusion. The Tronic, if He's right about fusion. It, it's the solution to everything. It's the solution to every fuel problem we have. 
let's hope it'll happen. Thank you, Leo, as always. Right, that's it. I'm done. We're out of here. The programme edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. See you tomorrow, just after nine. The Cork Diary. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.